Hi everybody, welcome back. This is the Overseas Teacher Podcast, episode three. My name is Carl King and today I am with my guest, which is the managing director of the Overseas Teacher and a very dear friend of mine. It is Daniel DeMarles. Hi Daniel. Hello, hi. How hey. are you? I'm pretty good. I am the same as everybody else, doing no plans today. Yeah, that's just uh, life now really, nothing, isn't it? Nothing, nothing exciting. I think um, I think we should get we should get straight into it, get stuck in. Um, sure. I'm going to just ask you a really broad question, um, and it's going to have a really broad answer. But Daniel, what is online teaching? It's not a trick question. I it's not a trick te- question. It sounds it's sa- online teaching is online teaching, but online teaching is teaching online. What is sure. online teaching, and what is the value? Sure. I mean, online teaching in China, the context we're doing online teaching, the way we're all doing online teaching, online teaching is, I think, the future of what it's going to look like for the ESL landscape. It's just what it's going to be like to learn English in China is going to require a lot of different components, and one of those components is going to be online teaching. I think that is what it means for the future. I think that is the truth of education broadly for the future in every country in the world from now on. Every country, regardless, not just China, we're talking about everywhere. I think so, man. I think that um, people are really starting to, and I think this is the interesting thing about online education, people are really starting to think about what one should spend and how much commuting and all the different things that you should really do to attain a quality education. Now, it's very difficult for me to imagine that a university can continue demanding £9,000 a year mm. or a lot more in America when they're delivering their classes online. But we have to say, if we can all learn to learn online, and if teachers can learn to teach online, that world that we're going to end up seeing, where online teaching is more important than it ever has been before, is also a fairer world in terms of how you get an education. And that's true of what we're seeing now in, in, you know, in universities where people are demanding some of their tuition fees and stuff like that. Yeah. I think you were, of, you were part of doing something like that at the university. You're damn right. <laughs> I think that's the right thing to do, actually. I think they've been overcharging um, for what they're actually giving in terms of universities for a long time. They're really just, you know, don't get me wrong. It's a business. It, it is. It, it is. Or it's, it, unfortunately, it's treated that way too frequently. Um Ours is a business, definitely. Online ESL teaching is absolutely a business, but that doesn't mean that it shouldn't be the right price to get everybody involved. It shouldn't be beyond anybody's reach. And I think that's what online teaching education represents. Um, Teaching in China, English, has been reserved for mostly the rich um, and the people who can put an incredible percentage of their income into education of their young children, or rich, which is mostly what it is. And that's changing a lot now. Um, Online teaching is one of the things that's forcing that to happen. Uh, You are, online teaching, you know, okay, I'll take it back, you know. uh, 20, 30 years ago, um, it was not very easy to have an online, a physical ESL teacher Go, you know, go into a um, uh, an English language school, um, and actually be able to get uh, decent English education. It's incredibly expensive. It demanded a huge percentage of your income. The quality was generally very low. 
people who wanted to come abroad to teach in China that long ago weren't always the best teachers. Um, and it was a, an environment where I believe where it didn't produce the greatest education for the right price. Fast forward through uh, online education, you now have somebody who is coming in with modern, you know, um, uh, business practices that represent the, the new China, um, undercutting the price of physical schools, directly competing with them in their marketplace, forcing them to drive down the costs and increase the quality, or to pick a lane, right? They have to either drive down costs and keep quality the same, or increase quality and raise costs to justify why they should have a physical school at all. And now we're leading to a world where we've actually can deliver quality education for a much broader segment of Chinese society. That's quite exciting. Yeah, I mean, totally. I totally agree. Um, I think that it's it's very exciting, like you said, to see the direction in which we're heading um, for everybody. But I think it's also important for to to sort of look into a little bit deeper into the Chinese online industry in specific. I know. We, we briefly spoke about how this is something that is global. But why do you think in China specifically there is such a highlighted importance for online teaching? Wow, that's a good question. I think to understand that, it's also helpful to understand why there is an interest in learning English in China generally across the board. Um, there are quite a few different components. And why it's... why Foreign, people from foreign countries are so necessary for that industry, which is also another really interesting thing. So I think one major part of it is that China recognizes that it needs to be part of the future of a globalized world. I don't think they think that for necessarily, you know, people 20, 40, 30, 40, 50 years old, Maybe don't think that necessarily for themselves, but they definitely think it of the children that that English is going to be necessary, and they've been thinking that people have been thinking that generally the market has felt that way for a long time. Um, there, China is on its way to becoming you know, the most powerful country in the world, um, if it isn't already, and they can't do that without understand. And I think it's well recognized that it can't be done without understanding the outside world. Yeah, China's not going to wait around for you to understand it because we won't, unless we all go. Um, and so to do that, they want their children to learn English. I think English gives them a huge opportunity to go abroad and experience the world and bring back what they've learned back to China. Um, and I also think it gives you another way of thinking. Uh, it, not only does it broaden your opportunities, not only does some of the universities be expected of, it, of you, it of you, but um, it also gives you an entirely different way to consider the world. Uh, these two different language families, Sino-Tibetan and uh, Indo-European, uh, you know, their roots and how they affect the ways that we think are so incredibly deep into our, uh, you know, brains, yeah. actually, that the value of knowing both is immense, not to just what you can speak and how you can express yourself, but to what you can even think or the ways you're even capable of thinking. And I think that is part of the maybe more new agey reasons for why people want to learn English. Yeah, that makes, yeah. Um, I think you're right. Um, I think that, as you said, it's definitely something that um, is becoming such a valued asset for all people 
coming from China who look to uh, develop further career skills that they, that they, like you said, that they can bring bring back to their home country and and develop their skills further within their own country, applying what they they found from other other places. Um, I think that it's also important for people who are inter- interested in teaching abroad to understand the difference between um, these two sort of hubs of where you would teach if you were to go abroad, which is a training centre and a school. I myself am not quite sure about the the difference between the two. I don't even know about these training centres, but recently I've heard a lot of people who go over to China, they don't, they don't actually teach in a school. They might just teach in a training centre. So what is the difference between these sort of two a lot of people, hubs? I think a lot of people don't also don't recognise that. Uh, the... The online lesson, the online sphere that we work in is a direct digital representation of the analog training school. Ah, okay. So it is um, after school hours, typically, from 5.30 to 6 to 9.30, and that is where you will go after school to learn English. Um, One of the big problems is that you, you, not a necessarily from but you need to attend state school in China. You actually have to go to a the, the government uh, sponsored education system. Uh, and it itself does not have a very good method for teaching English. One of the reasons is that people hadn't learned English for a very long time. In the past, there aren't enough people who speak a good enough level of English in China to be the teachers of the future, yeah. to educate children to speak English. And therefore, you need to hire people from halfway around the world to come to China who speak English to deliver those lessons. So, if I'm yeah. a if I'm a parent, if I'm a parent of a, in China, and my child goes to one of these schools, and after school they go to one of these training centers, is this becoming a, a huge financial strain on myself? Is this is this something that's extremely expensive, or is it affordable? Is it something that everybody's sort of doing? Or would you say it's, so? Is it for the rich, or is it, or is it for everybody? To put it in context, I mean, now there are a lot of different levels of of, um, of international schools, but to put it in context, uh, the average price that I see for a city like Chengdu is usually around about four hundred to five hundred RMB or more per hour lesson. So that's about oh, wow seventy five pounds. Yeah, sixty seventy five pounds it can be. It depends. Um, um, which is huge, I think. Uh, also bear in mind that those are not always, you know, incredibly rich people. Those, because China has one of the highest spending, uh, per capita on extra, you know, outside of government spending education, on education, yeah. private edu- education spending. Um, the, you know, this is sometimes people who, who, who can just barely afford to do that. So that's another thing I think that online teaching represents to this and to the people who want to learn English or want to increase their socioeconomic uh, outlook is that they can actually have access to relatively cheap classes. If you think about usually the I think the retail price for a lot of online teaching companies is usually about two hundred RMB, so less than half. Um, pretty impressive, I think. The other thing is a temple school requires usually to have foreign teachers in it who speak English. Um, and who can teach it. And those people don't want to come from America or the UK or Ireland to live in a very, very small town mm. in the middle of, uh, you know, in the middle of Yunnan province, 
when they could live in Beijing or Shanghai uh, and make more money. It's very, very difficult to get the educators to the ones who need to be educated. Whereas that becomes incredibly simple with online teaching because China has really, really good infrastructure for, for technology. So the price of the savings that you know that you make in this by going down this route of education affords you a computer and Wi-Fi very often for much, much lower than the price that so, you would spend by sending them to school. Yeah, it makes complete sense. But do you think that as time goes on we can the online teaching well, physical teaching and online teaching will become more and more affordable. I know that online teaching already is uh, is a much better price compared to physical teaching, as you said. But is there a way that we can eventually make this something that anybody with any financial background would be able to have access to from China? Definitely a goal that I would like to see accomplished. And I do think that the price will continually go down. I do think there are some unnecessary but intrinsic barriers built into the system at the moment. So legally, you need to have a TEFL certificate and a bachelor's degree to teach online, formally through one of these major schools like CIT Kid or yeah. .IVC, right? Um, but I don't think that that's necessary. I don't think that if you want to teach young children in this country uh, with the level of interaction that we're having, that you would necessarily require that background. You'd probably require a good degree of training, but you may not require, you may not require all of that. And I think that is one thing that forces the price up um, because you have to pay back your student loans. You have to, you, you need to be, you know, it needs to be lucrative. Yeah. Uh, that's not true. I think so. Can I ask, I quickly, sorry, Daniel, can I ask why is it that they, they require these bachelor degrees? Is it because it sort of proves this, oh, I'm, I'm an academic, I can commit myself to something and get it done? What, 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 why is there this sort of necessity to have a BA? Um, so I think this is often how regulation ends up, ends up getting made in China. It's often not to do with a, a direct reason why you shouldn't have it. It's because they don't have a better way often of finding out, of controlling or regulating an industry. Uh, so you need to have a TEFL and a degree to go teach abroad in China. And then I suppose when asked, what should the regulations be for somebody who should be online teaching? They said, same as whatever you're doing for physical <laughs> Yeah. Okay, no problem. We'll just do that then. Um, I don't know. I doubt that's exactly how that conversation went, but I don't think it's far from it because I see we do see things like that happen a lot. Hopefully, and what usually does happen is that they go from very strict measure to decreasing the strictness of the measure as they realize it's ineffective. And it's because ineffective. I actually think, sorry to interrupt, but I actually think that by doing by having these regulations and these necessities they're actually limiting themselves to be able to have access to amazing teachers because I've met and you, and you have probably also met some unbelievable online teachers who aren't necessarily academics who have backgrounds in, in, you know, areas such as acting or, or, or these creative sort of industries. And they're able to use those experiences to create an unbelievable experience for online teaching classes. Um, which I think is, is is a massive limitation to the to the, to the, the Chinese education sector that they're not they're not allowed allowing people to fulfill amazing classes without having this BA. Absolutely, I think that's one hundred percent true. Um, I think that the history of you know, online education is that it comes out of physical education, and the two haven't really taken on separate lives from each other enough yet. 
yeah. to be able and it's often a lot of the same companies doing it you know how for example is an on as an online teaching wing first leaf as an online teaching wing but first leaf is primarily a physical teaching school a training school in china so it's a lot of the same actors involved in both sides of the industries which makes sense why they're regulated in very similar ways but it's not the most beneficial way i think that's what i mean about you know the goal is to have it so that and online teaching is an intrinsic part of the learning experience. And to do that, you need to make online teaching fit in where it fits in, which is to be affordable and to be a more direct relationship between student and teacher without a organization standing in the middle directing people exactly what to do. Online teaching is a little bit more freeform, and it should be and it that sh it should represent that. It's the broad world of teachers who want to teach, being connected with the broad world of students who want to learn, and somebody who can help to bring the, make those two ends meet. Mm. And that should be the core goal of the online teaching industry, I believe. And why is there that core value for teachers who come from other countries as opposed to locally? I mean, I know it's obviously a given to some degree, but, but explain a little bit more why that there is that core value. I think um, there's two sides of the coin. There is a genuine value to people coming from foreign countries to China to teach. And then there is a perceived value. Um, the genuine value is that we have a different style of education in the West. Uh, we teach, uh, or it's become more and more popular to teach in a way where it's much more freeform, much more um, child-led approaches to learning. And in China, that is also picking up too. Uh, people are definitely noticing the value of it, and they want it for their children. Um, but the government, and that's where most people are educated for most of their lives, in state schools, uh, doesn't see the value in that. They still believe in the traditional Confucian rote learning style of education, uh, which pushes, pushes a very high emphasis on remembering what everything and to uh, be able to you know, produce that knowledge whenever demanded but not so much on the creative manipulation of the information you learn. Uh, that's something that comes intrinsically to us, I think, uh, from our education system, and it's easier for us to teach it. We've had in the past to try to train teachers in China to teach in this style. No and way. it takes incredible... Oh, yeah, we used to run a, uh, a forest school where we were basically... Our goal was to get kids out of the classroom and into nature where we would just let them explore by themselves and you wouldn't believe when you bring them out into this environment they don't know what to do they're scared of the nature uh they don't really believe that they're just being let to run free um, wow. and it takes a long time a year even before kids who are seven or you know five six seven years old realize that they can just actually run free uh, and you can see it immediately it changes their confidence the way that they interact with each other the bit of their maturity initially when kids would fall over they'd start crying towards the end of their first year doing forest school they would start to uh um you know they wouldn't even notice they'd fall and then they'd get up and run right after you know right back to whatever they were doing um that isn't just because the nature itself is value that style of education has an incredible value and and i think that is something that we're doing in our online lessons as well if you look at it it, it is it has strong child-led elements to it yeah. You, yeah, I totally agree. I think the flip coin to that, though, is that um, if you were to put somebody in the UK 
okay in the in the forest and told them to go crazy, then they would. But then you take them back to school and you say, do this in this by this date, um, because this is what we require from you. And they're going to try and push the boundaries. They're going to try and see what they can get away with. They're going to try and you know find ways of getting out of that sort of curriculum. That you know that 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 wanting to 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 accomplish something that they've been set. Not yes. and not all, by the way, not all, but it's sort of something that's deeply rooted into our culture. There's too much relaxation. I would say yeah. Yeah, yeah. You know, if if, if there's a deadline, I'm gonna see if I can maybe push that deadline a little bit because, but maybe I don't know. You know, but this is just how it is here. I would say, and I'm not. There's many people who think similarly to myself. I think there's value to both sides of the, the coin, but I think there's value to, to, to coupling them together. Yes, and knowing definitely. When it's appropriate for one and appropriate for the other, I think that's one of the reasons why it is important to, um, you know, to make a clear delineation between these things. And I think that's why it's beneficial to have your uh, language schools and your state-sponsored education running right next to each other like they do in China. It shows you that there's two acceptable forms of learning and you have to figure out the value of each one and determine for yourself to recognize that there are flaws in both to have a counterpoint in education to realize that there's two different systems gives you the opportunity to pick and choose from each and to question authority in a in a nice way yeah which is an opportunity that we are all giving to our chinese students um when we're doing this online education we're giving them our counterpoint to their daily um rote learning which is quite nice so you think that um in general I know we're talking about the history of, of, of online teaching and the history of the of the, of the TEFL world, but I'm interested in, in, in what your reaction is to, do you think that in the future there will eventually be a point where we have, especially in China in particular, that there will be the, the average student who comes out of university eventually will have this balance of um, a creative way of thinking, of being able to sort of, you know, have that freedom to, to, to do what they believe in, as an individual, but also that structure, that that sort of um, I, I need to get this done by this point, um, that sort of way of of, of 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 setting tasks and meeting them at particular points. That's the sort of ideal way that the parents want, and thus the students will become. I hope so. I think so. I think um, the. Physical teaching schools in China don't reach into everybody's lives. So if I were to, if you were to ask me that five years ago when we initially started, and when the ed, when the online edu- education uh, was still in its infancy, and everything was a physical school, I would have said no. I would have said that's only for the for the middle and upper classes that that would happen to. But now I'm saying I would change my answer entirely, and I would say it is potentially something that most people can interact with as the Chinese as Chinese standard of living and general income rises, um, and as the price of online teaching lowers, and if we can expand the number of people that can participate in online teaching, um, I think that it, we can eventually, yeah, it can be a natural thing that everybody knows they're going to do. They're going to get an online lesson from a foreign teacher, they're going to learn about a foreign culture, uh, and at the same time, then they're going to go, you know, and then the next day they'll go to normal. Cool. Yeah, uh, and you will have really, really, really well-rounded individuals as kids. More well-rounded than we were, probably, because we didn't have 
we didn't have Chinese teachers. Well, that's uh, that, that leads me. Yeah, that I mean that leads me to my next point. Maybe there's something that we can learn from them. That most definitely there's something that we can learn from them. Maybe that maybe in years yeah. years time we'll be incorporating some of the Chinese curriculum and education system into our own. I hope my kids are online. I hope that well, if they're not in China, then they're online learning Chinese from a Chinese teacher. I would really, really hope that. Um, and I think that's probably the wor- the direction we're going in. I hope. Yeah, I think yeah. that's a uh, I think that's a really good way to to to, to finish this podcast off. Um, we've we've looked at the history and where we are where we are today, but there's also that potential that we could see in the future because of what's happening now, because yeah. of this, this balance. I'd like to, in the next opportunity we have to talk about this, I'd like to talk about some of the challenges that are we're going to end up facing if we want to reach this goal of where online, what, what the place that online language learning can play in future society. I think we're going to start by immediately coming head to head with some challenges. And I think they're going to take the form of, uh, you know, cultural, it, you know, lack of cultural understanding going both ways. Um, the general quality, can we make it as good as a physical school? I believe we can. And I also think we're going to need to understand um, a little bit about the, the legal difficulties that schools that we have between these two countries. Because at the end of the day, this is China and we're reaching from one side of the world into a foreign education system. And at the same time, we've got Chinese schools employing foreigner, foreign people in foreign countries under rules that are very much unlike their own. And these two people need to, these two sides need to get a better understanding of each other so that the industry doesn't end up crashing before it really gets to take off. Yeah, totally. Yeah. Well, look, man, I look forward for us discussing a little bit more about the challenges, like you said. Um, but I think that if I was to say to anybody who's watching this, who's thinking about potentially diving into this industry, um, do it because it will be, yeah, for sure. Teach with us, uh, regardless of whether you want to teach for the rest of your life or whether you want to go into becoming a lawyer or, you know, the next, the next Elon Musk or whatever. I really think that this is something that can benefit every individual because there's these core values that they can incorporate from this and take it into their career path. Yeah, I am in my statement. You don't have to teach with us. Get into teaching. Get into That's teaching, a- but preferably with us. But if you have to get into teaching, get into teaching with us. <laughs> Thank you very much, Daniel. It's been great talking Thank to you. This has been this has been episode three of the Overseas Teacher Podcast. Thanks for everyone who's listened, and we'll see you next time.